0: So far, me and Bruce have listened to uh, Wind and Pain. It sounds fucking, honestly, it sounds really fucking good. Let me get this baby printed up. Listen to uh, Red Eyes
1: now.
2: From Super High Quality Records, this is the Super High Quality Live Drugs Podcast with the War on Drugs.
1: Adam Bennett, stage, stage, stage left, keyboard. Um, Charlie Hall, and uh, drums.
3: Dave stage. Hartley, bass. Max. I stand by Anthony, Anthony Lamarca, stage right, stage right.
4: guitar
1: and keys.
5: Uh, horns and auxiliary keys, uh, stage left,
2: rear. You getting all this done? You getting all this? I'm Dominic East, and this is part four.
1: delay.
3: That's pretty synced up. Where are you now, Craig?
0: I'm home. You, are you inside? He's on a treadmill. Yeah. Are you on a treadmill?
6: No. <gasps> you know, I was going to have one of my busiest years. I was supposed to go to Mexico City or, or do a tour of Mexico with MGMT on the March 15th. Basically, that got called on about March 12th and I was well into adv- advancing, like, a Kurt Weill, uh Kate LeBond tour, and uh, I basically just spent two days just canceling hotel bookings and flights, and and then War on Drugs were starting what we were talking about doing pre-production in August, Adam?
0: Yeah, like September for October tour, yeah.
6: U.S., we were going to start in the U.S., that went away, and then it was like we still had the European run following that, and that you know, was like, okay, we'll start there. And then it became apparent that that would have to move. And so, yeah, like everything just kept getting pushed back. And now I think it's to the point where we just don't have any idea.
3: I knew it was going to last a long time. I mean, I didn't know we'd be here six months later with still no end in sight.
4: I think the last show I saw was at the American Legion Hall in Nashville. In East Nashville, there's like a pretty well-known honky-tonk night. That was the last live music I saw.
5: I realized it was at the end of February. It was an amazing show. Moses Sumney, for his new album, was doing these sort of like weird installation underplays at a place called the Bootleg Theater here. Awesome, like the band sounded killer. It's one of the reasons I moved to L.A., that there's just lots of great music around all the time. And I definitely was feeling that that night, like, oh, man, it's awesome to be here. Couldn't imagine that, like, six months later, I'd be like, I have no idea when I'm going to see live music again.
3: Yeah, I saw that I saw that band Y-Oak um, at uh, the Mothlight. I met up with our mutual friend Julian, we both had like hand sanitizer, which seems like such a futile thing to take to a concert now. <laughs> like, but we really thought we were like armed against this thing. And it's like all we talked about, we kind of knew shit was going to be grinding to a halt real soon. Um, yeah. And now that, now the mothlight is closed. It's just the venue is gone, you know, topography of the music scene, you, you know, has changed. I went to go see Graham Nash and
5: kind of like knew that that was gonna be it. Like while I was there, they like canceled the rest of the tour, so it was like while we were there, the three of them were having their own moment of like sort of saying goodbye and like not knowing when this thing was gonna like start back up again. Yeah, this was probably like March, I don't know, like 12th or something, I can't remember. I remember calling Dave, be
1: like, Dave,
3: I know, I was like, don't do go. I go?
1: Dave was like, no. I was like, uh... I think the last musical thing I experienced was uh, a Silver Ages rehearsal at Charlie's house. And I remember that Eliza, one of one of the Silver Agers, she uh, sings with Grace Potter, and I remember her, she had a tour that she was going to leave for, like, that Friday. and She was just like, I don't know. Is this going to happen or are we going to go? And I don't think she ever went. I think she got on the plane, right? I can't remember how that went down. Like, I think she, like, got to California and, like, turned around. It's hard enough touring, like, how it upends your your life in certain ways to just, like, not knowing, like, am I going to leave this week or am I ever going to leave again?
0: Man, that was such a weird week because that was right before the lockdown. It was like early March, right, Dom?
2: Yeah, March 10th, 11th.
0: And like Dom was in town in LA and I've been working on the record. I wasn't like wearing a mask or anything, but I was like super cautious. You know, I was like washing my hands all the time. Something was happening, but no one knew nearly as much as we know now. And, uh, And then Dom was with refused at the show I got, I wanted to go to the show, but I also didn't. I was like, I don't want to go to the show. I don't want the paranoia of thinking that I'm going to get sick. Yeah, and then like, I was just like sitting outside the venue waiting for Dom to load out. Just thinking I would like, wait till I saw him, get out of my car, talk to him for five minutes and then leave. And, uh, and then there's like three people banging my window and they're like, can you help us fix a flat tire? And I was like, of all, fuck, first of all, of all people no! to ask, I'm not the guy to fix your flat tire, okay? Second of all, of all times to ask me, and you know, and they were give me the fist bump and like, you know, I just I'm total meltdown, and then I went in like an internal meltdown, and then I went in to see Dom, and like, and then Brandy showed up with her brother, and they gave high fives, and I gave Dom a hug, and then the next morning I woke up and I was like I was like so upset that I was so scared to see my friend it was like such a it was the first time of this whole thing that I felt like so trapped to feel like such guilt over like embracing your friend messed with my mind so much it was like it was really weird that was the first time that I think that Gravity of what, whatever was happening, set in, or not even the gravity of it, but like how it was affecting me, you know. And yeah, not wanting to help people change a tire, and like, although we did change it, but not because I knew what the hell I was doing for the record. I just, they did everything. to a um, blue bottle and they had a um, bottle of Purell. Hey, much appreciated, you know what I mean? I will take a squirt. What I wanted to do was take the whole fucking bottle. So that's on my short list thing to do later in the day, sneak in, steal it. High quality, not even knockoff, real Purell. But I'll talk to you, have a great flight. Okay. Bye. When I was at the studio with Sean, I had this bottle of hand sanitizer. I ran out and then you couldn't get any. And so I used all of it and then I filled it with rubbing alcohol and was just (laughs) using rubbing alcohol in my hands for like two weeks. like gave my hands like a low degree burn. Remember how red those were? Yeah, that was really bad. I showed you not not thinking it was like maybe that bad and you're like, holy shit, that's (laughs) bad. I was like, oh, I guess it might be. I thought it was just dry. But yeah, that's how far down the sanitizer hole I was.
3: is really, it's a rare and special thing to be able to go out and travel around with your best friends and do this shit. It's incredible.
1: I mean, I have to think that touring influenced, like, who I am in, in a huge way, just traveling all over the world and meeting different people and seeing how people live.
5: Yeah. It changed my life. It changed how I think yeah. about this country, how I think about other people, you know, about hum- humanity. Touring, absolutely profoundly changed
4: who I, who I am. And I, I feel like that's like, for me, the thing I'm looking forward to the most about when shows happen again. It's gonna be pretty hard for everyone to not have a really deep appreciation.
3: My goal is to like not take certain things for granted anymore. You kind of get lulled into thinking like, this is how it'll always be, this will last forever. And then we're now, we've just been sort of smacked in the face, like things can stop and pause or whatever change dramatically. And so it is a really unique moment to sort of reflect and see things in a way that we never have, you know, never get to see them when we're in the moment.
4: Having a room full of people unified for the period of that show you know like this is a room full of people that probably don't agree on on everything but for those two hours they're all in the same boat it's a pretty pretty powerful thing
0: We do these webcast things where we each film ourselves and record on Pro Tools and I have to do it first and do it to a click or a drum machine and make sure that it sounds good. And then I send it to each person. And like, I'm trying to like be in the moment but I also have to like be the cameraman and I got to record it and then I got to make sure that I'm starting the video at the same time. And and then I end up getting a performance that's maybe 60% good enough. And then I sent it to everybody else and and they do great work. And and then at the end of the day, I'm like listening to it. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this sounds great. It just makes me depressed because it's like my band and my best friends. And like, it's not real. Playing
5: music in a room with people is an irreplicable experience. Any sort of way of approximating it sort of shows how... Unapproximatable it is.
4: If you were able to replicate it online, we would have already, and it would have been infinitely more profitable, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> <And> right. Easier, <laughs> but it doesn't work.
3: These live stream concerts. I think it's good that people are doing them. They're doing a lot of them for good causes, and it's really fun. It's fun to check in with your favorite bands. But w- when you tune in and you're like, ah, you know, I want to see some music to take my mind off this fucking crazy world we're in right now, and you tune into like a live stream and. Everybody's separated in these boxes, and if anything, it just sort of reminds you what's happening and, and how it's not a substitute, and it's just sort of a simulation. But I mean, you know, they're great. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing them, and we'll we do them, we'll do more of them, and they're, it's fun, but it's not, it's in no way, it's soy cheese, you know what I'm saying?
5: Making music by oneself is a fundamentally and profoundly different thing than making music in a room with other people.
0: The idea of performing music is is not something that happens in in solitude you know it's like dylan it's like the song is truly alive when it's being performed you know it's like the the recording you never really cared too much about the recordings because the real moment the real song was happening on a stage with musicians in front of people that's when like the real music was happening
4: I feel like we've joked about like the first show back, we're all gonna be doing like David Lee Roth kicks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually sort of excited because I feel like there is gonna be a wave of music. Like I feel like music is going to have a new energy.
5: I do hold out hope, or I'm interested to see if, like, there's a renewed appreciation of, like, the alchemy of truly live music. that probably people will appreciate it more than they ever have, you know?
3: There's not a lot of documents of our live shit actually, out there. You know, Adam's always had kind of a talent for saying no to things, you know, and not wanting every single thing to be documented and out in the wind and sort of trying to filter that and um, maintain the magic of actually seeing it in the moment. So for, like, a a sanctioned live record to come out, it's sort of a statement. So you, I guess you went to...
0: uh... Upstate New York to mix the stuff with John Lowe, our old friend from Philly, in August, right?
2: Yeah, you had set that up, and then you called and said, I'm not sure if you'd want to do this, but would you right. want to go to New York?
0: Yeah, because I knew we had everything recorded. Every single show, for the most part, that we played for two years was multi-tracked. At the time, in August of 2019, it was just a way of, like, trying to stay busy and have projects, even though we just had a kid. Obviously, I was being kept busy with the baby, but you guys were sending me roughs every day, and I was listening to my car, and I just didn't have a real plan for any of it. What I assumed is that we'd finish the the new record by May, we'd go on tour in September, and then we'd start multi-tracking all those shows. And then, you know, flash forward a year to, like, a break in that touring cycle, I'd put together more recordings and then we'd release some sort in between you know the fifth and the sixth record we'd release some sort of like epic you know live thing i just kind of got caught up in dad world and um so i didn't really listen to the stuff for maybe a whole almost a year
5: I was going to be away for a lot of this year, you know, and my daughter's reached this super fun age where we're hanging out and playing games and she's full of, you know, she's four, she's full of weird creativity and stuff. And I'd be missing that. And, you know, I will miss other parts, you know, but it's just been nice to, it's just been nice to have some extra unexpected time.
1: Right, I, you know, I I have a two-week-old daughter now and I think we would probably would have been doing promo or out on the road and you know i wouldn't have this time and you know now she's my like my piano audience i like sit and i hold her and play the piano and she's screaming and she stops
3: wow, wow that's cool i missed the first month of of mm-hmm. hazy's life you know i missed a lot of the first six months actually i missed like four of the first six months of hazy's life so
5: you you were you were in spain 18 hours after she was born right? yeah
3: Yeah, like actually talking to Robbie and Kate, and they were like, oh, you know, we're dealing with this, with this, and this. And I was like, I don't remember anything. Like, I don't remember what the third day was like.
4: (laughs) Trying to find catering. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh.
0: I think sometime in March, once the lockdown happened, it just felt like something changed. Even though things hadn't really been canceled yet, I just, it felt different. Everything felt different. And I listened to the live, I hadn't listened to the live stuff in, you know, nine months and um, sounded like way better than I guess I remembered. And it sounded like um, something I wanted to kind of follow through on because the record had been put on hold. You just knew that touring was going to be canceled. And I think every week that we went down lockdown and things became worse and worse, you really got the sense that, like, it was the end of something, you know? I felt like now was the time, if we were going to do something, to put something together. Like, not wait for one more tour. It just felt like we had done all this great work. They sounded really good. It wouldn't take that much to kind of get them over the finish line. And it just felt like the right time to... um commit to an idea and remember when i called our manager she was excited but she was definitely like are you, you know are you sure you want to like go th- you know go all the way and i was like yeah this is great it's the t- right time to do it you know <gasps> to do something that our fans would love um and something that was like a really good representation of the band at that moment in time it just felt like it would be better to do it sooner than later I think everyone has in their back of their mind like a list of like 15 shows that they remember being great you know you're just like oh that show is really good so I kind of started by just having our our buddy Austin who did all the the pro tooling kind of take out like 25 shows and when we were kind of listening I was just listening for like a special moment you know or a moment that I remember being special the crowd chanting and under the pressure or a certain intro of eyes to the wind or a version of pain that had a great energy and remembering that like certain nights on our, on our tour, just like memorable nights. I mean, I just remember like we played a show (laughs) and you know, we had an awesome day off the day before everyone kind of went and did their own thing. And then the next day we played this like awesome outdoor festival. It was like cloudy and misty and like foggy and mysterious and the band was on fire and when I was listening to the multi tracks from that show, that was what was in my mind. You know I wasn't listening for like if the snare was sounding good or was the saxophone a little pitchy that day. I was only listening to like the music, remembering what it felt like to play it and so i it would be really hard to convince me you know to not use an ocean from that show because I just had an image in my mind of what it felt like to play that, you know? And the same for like the second night at the theater and like, Just an, a really great energy that was in the room. When I'm introducing the band, that was from the fall of 2017 in, um, And I just remember it was like this, you know, 2,500 seat, like big square box. Sound was just like blasting all over the walls. Like it sounded so good in there. And the crowd was amazing. You know, some nights you, like, go through the motions and you put on, like, a collared shirt and your black boots and you go out there and, like, you do a, a show. And this night, it was just, like, I had a T-shirt on and I was sweaty and I just remember it being, like, I was like, this is the way I want to experience it, you know? Every note felt perfectly timed and you could tell that I was obviously having a good time. I see the wind and... In- you know, it's like, and that's kind of where we started. Was like just starting with these, these, these shows and seeing what we could, what we could uh, what we could get out of them. When I think about touring the world and um, playing these concerts at a level that's way beyond anything I ever imagined, like. I think of the audience that's kind of to me what it means to like be doing what we're doing, you know? So when we were doing the album art, I was like scrubbing through the uh, super eight. I think I figured out how to like hit one key and it would go frame by frame. And there was like a two second super eight film from actually where it was just like a very fast spotlight panning across the crowd. But if you stop the film, was just these awesome images but it was only like five frames worth because it was so quick so i showed him took a screenshot and sent him to dom he was like oh i think that's really sick yeah and i don't know i just something about it just struck me as like it should be the cover of our record Like what are you gonna do? War on drugs, live? Live drugs. It just feels like. That's just the name of our record. You know? That's what's on the record. Live drugs. That's what it is.
2: The Super High Quality Podcast was put together by me, Dominic East, with help and support from Adam. Audio mix by Andrew Guerin. Thanks to the guys in the band, as well as our amazing crew. Craig McQuiston.
3: Bob Striegel. Lawrence Eve, Matthew Walsh. and Silverstein.
2: And thanks also to Caroline Klein and everyone at Fort William Artist Management. The album, Live Drugs, is out now on Super High Quality Records.
0: Thank you so much!
3: I mean, let's get to the elephant in the room here.
2: I can't believe Adam's not here for this. Yeah. <laughs> when the boss is away.
5: <laughs>
1: yeah.
5: See ya. Love you guys.
3: Thanks, right. Tom, for doing this. Bye. Love you guys. Love you. Bye, guys. I'll miss you.